This week's Wonder Women guest is Erica. Erica is a a metal sculptor who is based out of Philadelphia. She does some amazing work and really she spans all of the fine arts pretty much. Uh, I really enjoyed talking with her and getting to learn a little bit more about the art world uh, specifically, Uh, but we covered all kinds of things about how uh, she is uh, self-taught in metalworking uh, from art school, about her art school experience, and um, now being out on her own running her own business. So I think you will definitely enjoy this episode. But before we hop in, I want to give a big shout out and thanks to the patrons over on Patreon. So thank you so much, Christy, Twisted Twine, Christina B., Jeremy Spies. Sammy, Go Sammy Lee, Lauren, Rasp File Designs, Sven, Dwarf Size Workshop, Rachel, Moody Makes, Bonnie, Tool Mom Bonnie, ToolMomStore.com, Laura, Oakley Soap Company, Mary Lou, Made by Mary Lou, Amy, Bison Valley Carving, Dan and Kelly of Reclaim Living Store, Brandy, Studio Obey, Kathy, One Girl and Her Tools, Ellen, Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan, Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so very much for your continued and ongoing support. That helps me to produce two episodes a week, every week, every month. Uh, Just a reminder, we are at 16 patrons over on Patreon right now. And once we hit the magical number 25, that will allow me to hire somebody to help with the editing, which means I get to focus more time on finding fabulous guests to have on the podcast. All right, with no further ado, let's head on into the interview with Erica. Yeah. Um, Well, I always ask my guests to start with introducing themselves. So I'm going to let you do that, share about yourself. Um, Whenever you're ready, we can go ahead and go. Sure. Um, My name is Erica Ehrenbard. I'm a sculptor based in Philadelphia, where I work predominantly with metals and fiber. And I do custom design and fabrication in my metalworking studio uh, with my husband. Okay, awesome. Um, Before we kind of get into like, more about that and what you do now. I want to talk a bit about your childhood, like where did you grow up and what kind of things were you interested in as a kid? 
So I grew up in uh, North Jersey, right outside of New York City, a very sort of New Yorker family raising, raising a family in the suburbs. Um, and I'd say, I guess, in my sort of adolescence, took a really strong interest in music and started to write a bit more, you know, started to feel a fine creative outlets. Um, but I wasn't surrounded by many creative people in the family, um, no artists or craftsmen to speak of, really. So I think I was trying to figure out what kind of, um, like, what it meant to be creative and started to get really interested in music, um, which sort of evolved into writing some poetry, I guess. Um, and then started to do more drawing and painting. Um, some silk screening, sort of moved around a bit in terms of just trying to get my hands on different uh, materials that felt compelling or different ways of expressing myself. Um, Was that through, like, did you have opportunities to try all that out, like, through school? Or were you, like, into kind of, like, screen printing doesn't I mean, was that something that was like available to you in school or is something you kind of worked with outside of school? No, I think it was mostly outside of school. I mean, I think my school had, as far as public schools go, a decent shot at, you know, they gave it a shot at having creative things available. Um, actually, we had a ceramic studio, but I never used it. Um, I was always in the, the side where we did like painting. Um, I did take a class at the community college in photography. Um, but something like you, like you said, so screening, that was not available for school. That was a friend of mine. I think she had more of an artist mentor in her life and started to do silk screening and then showed me how to do it. And we would do it in our basement. Um, so that kind of thing. And um, had a lot of friends playing music, but it wasn't too tied to school, I'd say. Okay. Um, what, what about post high school would you do after high school? So in high school is when I started to realize that, um, I was really interested in a more creative field, um, rather than, you know, I mean, I was always interested in math and science, I suppose, but didn't really know what it meant to do that in a professional way. And I was really losing interest in terms of trying to pursue that um, and really gaining interest in, in ways that, you know, more creative things that give, gave me more of a sense of satisfaction. Um, so that's when I started to pursue going to art school. And I have a very supportive family. They were always supportive, which is not to say that they thought it was ideal and hadn't, you know, Again, not, it wasn't a, a family full of artists. So I remember my mom would uh, encourage me to keep looking at liberal arts schools, like, oh, do art in a larger college and you can sort of, you know, focus on some, some art. And I gave that a shot, like thinking about doing that. But every time I visited a school, it just did not feel right. And that's the best thing I can say. It's just <laughs> mm -hmm. like every school I went to, I was like, I can't imagine myself here. I don't feel compelled by it. Um, and it was only the art schools that I started to feel like 
this seems compelling to me and like I could build a life doing something more like this. Um, and it was actually RISD in particular, which I did not, I, I didn't even want to see. I, I think RISD in the art world can sometimes have a bit like people perceive it as having a chip on his shoulder, a little hoity-toity kind of like, oh, the best art school, blah, blah, blah. Everyone has different opinions. So I kind of avoided it at first. Like, I'm not interested in that. I don't want it to be about clout. I just, you know, I don't need to go there. And then I visited it <laughs> and it was a completely different story. It just was, it really drew me in. Um, just, it seems so like hardworking um, and, and just the different materials that, that people were working in and you could like feel the sense of um, dedication on that campus and just like this really intense pursuit. And it sort of captured me um, and I never really looked back. So that's where I applied. And when I got in, it just was, um, you know, it was a, a big step for my life and sort of the, the beginning of a, a more serious creative career. So. Mm -hmm. What was your, what'd you major in? So I majored in sculpture. Um, and I don't know how much your listeners know art schools, et cetera, but RISD happens to be one. I don't know about now, because this is a little while ago now, but when I went, they have very intense major separations. So you do declare a major. Many art schools, you can kind of move fluidly between mm -hmm. majors. Uh, but RISD has one year of foundations, which everyone does. And then you declare a major at the end of your freshman year. And then that's what you do for the next three years, unless you make a change. So, um, so I went into sculpture after foundations. And I will say it was not a natural or easy choice. I think I'm someone who constantly questions myself and my own decisions and, you know, making a commitment for three years and knowing that that's what you're going to be doing is a big, a big deal. So I, I considered almost everything before deciding on sculpture. Uh, you know, as I said, in high school, I was doing more like painting. Mm -hmm. I was considering painting during foundations. I took a really strong liking in uh, figure sculpture and figure painting. So I started to consider illustration because they focus a lot on um, like learning the human body and how to paint, not just expression through painting. And then when I started to think about, well, I'm really interested in using different materials, then I thought, well, maybe I should do furniture because then I'll get really good at woodworking. Or maybe I uh, should do industrial design because then I'll get really good at, you know, designing these sort of intricate pieces. So I considered almost everything before realizing that the reason I had an interest in all of them is because, um, is because I'm really interested in sculpture and that sculpture would sort of be a way of combining um, a lot of these concepts. You know, in sculpture, you can, you can get good at working, woodworking, you can get good at metalworking, you can focus on the figure, you can be more expressive. So it just felt like, oh, Sculpture is the answer because it has everything and also you can sort of make it what you want because it is one of the fine arts fields rather than the design majors, at least the way RISD sort of separates it. So I think I realized that I wanted to be in one of the fine arts departments and really figure out like why do I make what I make and mm -hmm. what is it to me and what do I do with it while having some of those resources about getting good with materials and skill sets available. So. Um, 
So you're not the first, uh, I've had at least two that I can think off the top of my head, um, sculptural degree uh, people on the, on the podcast who now make furniture. Um, <clears throat> but I mean, if, like you said, your interest had been kind of like more like painting and stuff like that. Um, and I guess when I think sculptural, I think large scale and, you know, use of tools and stuff. Had you had, like, were you taking classes like that in the foundational year that, let, you know, you were like, okay, sure, I'll, I can go for this? Um, um, not in the sense that you just described, no. I think in foundations, it, there's much more about, like, design principles, like 3D design principles. Um, and so in terms of the 3D, it wasn't like, you know, make a monumental sculpture ever. It was more <laughs> about, you know, how does, how does a three-dimensional design get composed? And more like working with clay and plaster. Um, and then that, it, that kind of drew me into figure sculpture. And I think I just have always been drawn to the figure in many different ways. So I did more figure sculpture and that helped me just think about how compelling it was to work in a three-dimensional form. Mm -hmm. And then it was a lot of drawing, lots and lots and lots of drawing um, and painting like color theory. So it was a pretty like what you'd think of art school foundations. Mm -hmm. And I did not, I wasn't thinking about sculpture in the way even that I make it now when I went into it. Um, and also I don't tend to work on too big of a scale. Um, I think I'm most compelled and comfortable in like the size of my body, which maybe is, has to do with being interested in the figure as well, um, or within my sort of reach and having that relationship to people's bodies and our presence. Um, so it wasn't, I wasn't necessarily exposed to making big sort of monumental sculpture, nor do I make that now. Um, I sort of think of sculpture more, more, more about getting my own body in line with another material so that that material can somehow like extract humanity out of me and become its own, um, sort of expressive object of some kind and, and that it's somehow, uh, you know, me processing what's in my head or my own life through using and touching and interacting with material, but then it gives that material this sort of new sense of life. Um, and I think that, you know, figure sculpture starts to get at that, you know, when you create um, a clay or plaster sculpture of a human body, it's representative, but you, you can start to see how you can pull sort of expressive um, characteristics out of it and have it sort of stand for itself, not just representing something else. Mm -hmm. But I definitely quickly left representational work um, fairly readily mm -hmm. to sort of get at something that might be a little more visceral rather than representational. Hi, makers.
Juice. Today's episode is brought to you by ToolMomStore.com. ToolMom and company is for all ages, genders. They have what you need for your one-stop tool-related merchandise of gifts and clothing. Uh, the products are fun, fashionable, one-of-a-kind. In fact, I have two of the mugs. Uh, one has a circular saw with flames coming off of it. It says, Go Girl. Another one has the definition of a tool chick. Both of them are super awesome, and I have coffee out of them almost every morning. So check out toolmomstore.com or find them on Instagram at toolmombonnie. You can receive an extra 20% off at a checkout by using the code MAKERMOM. That makes sense. Yeah. I, so, I mean, <clears throat> like you said, I mean, you had to make this declaration to go into something for three years. Like... <laughs> What was yeah. that journey like, especially since, I mean, it sounds like you, you went into it because you said it, it had pieces of all these other things that you loved um, or had interest in, but what was the journey once you went like into once the I program? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. I think I continued to have that sort of questioning of what should, what do I make? What should I be making? What material should I be using? So um, I will say that throughout those three years, um, we do have the opportunity to take sort of classes in another major, mainly in this sort of shortened session in the winter. And I took all, every opportunity to take things not in sculpture because I was constantly sort of questioning, you know, what is it that I want to be good at? What do I, what would I keep doing forever? And is this right? And did I make the right choice? Excuse me. So I... Um, I took glass blowing, um, screen print, not screen printing, um, printmaking classes mm -hmm. in, in other mm -hmm. forms like copper plate, et cetera. Um, more figure sculpture. I think what else? So I was, I was still very much in a state of what else can I get good at? Like what, what materials do I like to use? And that's when I really learned that the metal shop is where I was at home. You know, I took a class in glass blowing. It's super interesting. It's super cool. I don't want to do it for the rest of my <laughs> life. You know, it just was, you make, I made some cool things, but I didn't want to go back to that shop every single day. Mm -hmm. The shop I wanted to go back to every single day was the metal shop, which was just sort of a resource in sculpture. You know, you have a studio, um, but then you, we have like a wood and metal shop. And that's when I started to experiment with uh, working with steel hot, like torch work mm -hmm. uh, and welding and TIG welding. I don't know what, why I got so addicted to it and we didn't even really learn it, but I kind of, we were introduced to the machine and I just kept doing it and got better and better. So my sort of journey of working for three years in sculpture was, you know, responding to our assignments and thinking about, three-dimensional concept and doing all that while sort of leaving and trying to take classes and other things and say like, Oh, do I like screen, but not, I keep saying, <laughs> do I like printmaking? Do I like glass blowing? Like what, what do I want to keep doing more anatomy? Got like how deep into the figure. 
And that sort of informed my practice and, and should, like I enjoyed every single one of those. And I, I usually enjoyed when I was working hands-on with some kind of material the most. Mm-hmm. But then I could also tell that there were the certain places where I would just keep going back. And it was the metal shop and the torch and the TIG welder. And that's when I realized like metals just wanted to keep doing over and over and every day and all day. And that's when I started to sort of learn that. Um, and as we, as I progressed through the three years and our work, um, I actually remember I had one professor that we did one semester where at the beginning of the semester, he says, I want each of you to choose two materials. And that's what you're going to work with for the rest of the semester. And oddly enough, those are my two materials to this day. <laughs> so it's sort of like recognizing in ourselves, like, what do I want to do every day? And how do I express myself? And what is my medium you know Mm -hmm. why why do painters use paint why do I use metal and fiber um because it's what I want to do every day it's it's what I love doing every time I do it and it that allows me to develop a language that feels like me because I've just touched those materials so much that it starts to become a part of me in a way or it it sort of like takes parts of me Mm -hmm. um and that's how I really got into metalworking and, and never looked back. Um, and then once you're in a, or for me, once I was in the world of metalworking and realized that that's what I was like, wanted to do for the rest of my life. Um, that's when I started thinking about how that applies to a professional world as well. Like not as an artist, because if I'm an artist working in metals, that means I can fabricate other people's stuff and I can get mm-hmm. a job at a metal shop and I can, you know, get a job TIG welding some like furniture together that mm-hmm. someone designs and starting to recognize this sort of pairing of how I could be an artist and take advantage of the material that I really landed in. So <clears throat> I, and I never I, went to chill. Sorry, you, no. you spoke to a few sculptors yeah. who end up making furniture. Um, I have this weird thing about me. I don't know what it is. Every time I would start making something functional, I'd lose interest halfway through. Just, it doesn't, I'll do it for other people. Um, right. And I actually make a lot of functional work now in custom work. Um, and I'll make functional stuff for, you know, my own household, etc. But I really learned quickly that I'm not a furniture maker. I don't, it just doesn't grab me the same, you know. I I'm much, I I like to experiment a little more and, and and let the material sort of guide me and become something else rather than kind of prescribing at the be- at the beginning um, mm-hmm. like what it needs to be or what it needs to do. Okay. Uh, so when you I want to clarify something too. When you say um, um, fiber. What kind of fiber are you working with predominantly? Um, so I work specifically with yarn and thread. Okay. How does that interact with metal? <laughs> <laughs> the million dollar question. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so it's definitely evolved over time. And at the beginning, I think it was maybe easy to think about at least for me, or a logical choice to, I would maybe, you know, knit a long piece and like wrap it around a more three-dimensional metal piece. And so it was almost like a net. 
And that's a fairly, I don't know, I don't know if obvious is the right word, but a somewhat obvious sort of pairing of, you know, mm -hmm. you, you kind of create a net and then you can put a net around an object. And then um, I really just started to think about all the different ways they can interact. So um, I was wrapping a lot of pieces, like sort of the action of wrapping. So I think I would wrap things. I'm trying to think of early examples because I, I know what I'm doing now, but I'm trying to um, go back a little bit. I would definitely apply a similar process to two pieces. So for instance, I would knit in yarn, but then I would think, oh, well, what if I knit in steel? Hmm. And so maybe first I started knitting with wire because you can like literally yeah. knit it. But then I thought, well, what if I scale this up and it's actually forged steel? So now you can't knit continuously in forged steel. You have to break it up. So then I would like forge one loop at a time. And then those loops, it, it almost made sense to like turn them just like make one straight line instead mm -hmm. of more of a net, you have more of a interlocking line. And then I started to learn how that might twist together and hold a new form. And so it was a lot about learning, you know, if you, if I apply one process to the opposite material, what happens? Mm -hmm. Or if I, you know, surround one material in the other, what happens? And so I started very much with like a lot of line because knitting is very linear Mm -hmm. The way I was wor working with um, torch work, I'd use a lot of round rod and like bend it. So it's very linear. Mm -hmm. And then as time went on, I got more and more, um, I think, interested in making like volumes. And so I would you know, make more of a wrapped ball of yarn instead of a knit mm -hmm. net of yarn or a, um, you know, a welded shell rather than a welded interconnected something or other. Mm -hmm. And that's now, which I really have loved where it started to go, is now it's not just um, for putting, what well, is putting one around the other? So now I'll make like a volume of fiber and then a volume of metal that responds to the shape of it and also surrounds it. And it gives you this sort of weird duality of this really soft kind of <laughs> intertwined thing with this really kind of structural but also expressive metal shell how those two can, can come together. Mm -hmm. um, and I've also started, I guess you would call it painting with fiber. So mm -hmm. the volumes that I've created, I can also, they're, they're very absorptive. So I can absorb ink and then impress their texture onto paper or mm. onto a panel. And so it's, it's always evolving. I'm, I'm always responding to what it seems like the material can do. Mm -hmm. And that sort of informs how the two also come together. Um, you know, in the, in the case of painting, the, the balls of yarn and thread can absorb ink and they can imprint their texture. And then I can use steel more structurally, like more of a frame. In that sense, they're not necessarily interacting in like a, intimate sculptural sense, but they still inform the final object of mm -hmm. a, a nicely steel-framed drawing that sort of sits within, so you have thread inside of a steel frame. Mm -hmm. um, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it does make sense to me. Um, it just seems... Were you drawn to 
picking those two materials because they don't necessarily intuitively seem to be connected? Um, yes, that's part of it. Um, I had definitely already been working with both, you know, when given that prompt of choosing mm -hmm. two materials. That was, you know, probably last year of college. Um, and I was at the time, I think definitely compelled by the, that sort of hard, soft, malleable, um, non-malleable kind of duality of things. They, they don't quite seem to go together. And then when they do, it, it gives you a bit more, um, not shock, but, you know, it brings that sort of duality to a piece. So that's part of it. But I think um, even bigger than that was uh, more of maybe like a lifestyle choice. So as someone making sculpture constantly and in the metal shop constantly, um, you know, it, it, my sculpture was my life. And so whatever I was making, that's what I'm living every day. So while I love being in a metal shop and I say I could do it every day, all day for the rest of my life, I mean, in reality, that's a really tough life. <laughs> so um, I think some of it was I really loved having a day or an evening where I could like sit down on something comfortable and knit <laughs> or wrap a ball of yarn. And so being able to put these two lifestyles together was as important as choosing a sort of sculptural visual choice of putting two different materials together. So it actually gave my life some balance. Um, you know, like I was able to, to do something a little bit more comfortable, um, you know, maybe watch something with my roommates <laughs> or like right. you know, rather, than, rather than constantly being in a metal shop and always being dirty and in a certain type of clothes um, with other, with certain people, you know, and I like having my own time and being alone or being comfortable. And so it was like, in my eyes, very much a, a lifestyle choice. My work is my life. So my life needs balance. And so does my work. Gotcha. That, that makes total sense to me. Um, so you were, I guess somewhat quick to point out, you don't necessarily make functional pieces. <laughs> so uh, if it's not for a function, then what is your hope for or your intent behind your art? Well, I will say it very much serves a function, just not in our typical use of the word function it serves a much more emotional function or mental function. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, life is hard. <laughs> I think for all of us <laughs> in different ways. Yes. And I'm not, it's, uh, it's a tough road and I process, I need to process everything. Um, and in order to be, in a good mental, I'm in the best mental state when I'm able to make sculpture. I think because it gives me that space that I need to 
process what it means to be myself, to have what's in my head, to be alive, to be human. Um, so it serves a really crucial function of giving me my sanity. <laughs> and I hope that once it's an object, that for someone else, it serves the function of, of tapping into a shared experience and giving mm -hmm. other people a sense that they're not alone and they can feel some kind of humanity or something in my work and hopefully get something from it. Mm -hmm. And I know I've gotten that from other sculpture and other work. And that's also um, a really important function for me. You know, the, the sculpture that I experienced um, by other sculptors or artists, you know, it's not just sculpture. Mm -hmm. um, I find that really important and they have a really big impact on me and the way I feel. So that's what I can only hope for for other people with my work, but for myself, it's very much a, a function of sanity. <laughs> I definitely understand that. That's, I get very cranky when I don't get to the shop very often. Hey, makers. I want to tell you a little bit about today's episode's sponsor, Athena. Outfitters. So when I'm in the market for a new pair of work boots, I do a ton of research, make sure I'm getting something that's going to fit right and going to last. Well, Athena Outfitters is a quality workwear brand for hardworking women that has a tons of experience with footwear. They've taken the time to select the very best shoes and boots made by each of the most reliable footwear brands. And when I shop at Athena Outfitters site, it saves me time and energy because I trust that they found the best shoes for every job and activity. Plus bonus, you can shop online. So next time you need new work boots or some other type of high performance shoe, check out AthenaOutfitters.com uh, gear with grit. And Athena is A-T-H-E-N-A -E and then Outfitters.com. You can also get a special discount at checkout by using the coupon code MM, that's capital M, capital M15 for 15% off any purchase just because you're a listener of the podcast. All right, let's hop back into the episode. Um, what, I mean, do you have your own uh workspace now like your own studio space metal shop space um or are you like co-sharing that yeah so um i think i already mentioned my husband is also a metal sculptor we met in school and it was pretty high on our list for almost immediately after school to create some stable sense of having a metal shop because then we could always sort of have that resource to work in mm -hmm. um and also use it you know, intelligently for fiscal purposes, because we can make, fabricate things for other people. Mm -hmm. And if we have that, then we can also um, maintain a sculpture practice. Because as you know, when you're, you know, working with tools and a shop, it's a constant, where am I working? Who am I sharing with? Mm -hmm. How far is it from my house? And it's, a, you know, it's, it impacts the experience of that practice. 
So we really wanted to have our own shop and we do now. It was not easy, but we have a metalworking studio here in Philly and we are, we've renovated it from a disastrous state and we're still working on upstairs, which is like an upstairs studio and where we live. So we do have a metal shop. We definitely had to start using it for custom design and fabrications. Um, or we wanted to as soon as possible because when we bought the building, we both had other jobs and, you know, the first year of renovating it was nights and weekends, like really intense, just trying to, to get the space up and running so that then we could sort of transition to it full time. So we got the metal shop um, up and going um, enough that we could, you know, leave our respective jobs and start our business and we're doing custom work. Um, unfortunately, we don't do that much of our own sculpture at the moment because we've been renovating the building, starting a business, doing the work that is the business, and we're still, you know, turning the upstairs into a place we can live and have like a more clean fiber or whatever else studio. Um, so yeah, we do have a metalworking space, but it's very much like a lot of our time is still sunk into actually renovating the full building. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of, I mean, what kind of work are you doing? What cu- kind of custom pieces are you guys, are you making in that space? We're making um, like architectural elements and other people's sculpture. So it's been mostly, you know, we've done some railings, um, like custom design railings um, and making other artists work hard to describe, I guess. Some is yeah, I was gonna. S- I was gonna say how um, how do you do some another artist's work? Like, I'm not well, familiar working. with the process. So. Yeah, <laughs> um, I love working for other artists. Actually, I think because um, because I'm a sculptor, I know how I feel about making sculpture and how important like all the little details are. So that's how I look at making someone else's. But the key is really understanding their intent, you know, because we're not here to yeah. make my intent and their right. work is their <laughs> intent. So um, depending on what it is, you know, I'll, I work with them pretty closely to understand what they're trying to do. Because um, a lot of the times I definitely will actually change elements in designs and help inform, like, if we're making this in metal, this is how we might make it or that's going to fall apart. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's got to be this thick or it's got to be this or that and the other. So it's a lot of um, like really understanding what they're trying to do. Also bringing them down to earth on what metal can do. Mm -hmm. And then um, also like executing then what it is um, and sort of fine tuning. You know, one of my good friends who is an artist and designer that I make a lot of her work and she'll pair, you know, metal with wood and because, you know, I'm fluent in wood as well, I've done that as well. And maybe I'll sort of suggest how we might connect the two things or how to make some seem a little more invisible. Um, and because she's a good friend of mine, I also usually have a sense of like what she's going for. Mm-hmm. I know the type of clean lines she wants. And, you know, the, my work has 
like welds as an expressive volume. Hers, I know we're like, you know, welding and grinding everything and it's going to be perfect edges and, mm-hmm. and really so that you're not looking at the, you're, you shouldn't be thinking about craft when you look at her work. It just should be beautifully crafted mm-hmm. so that you can look at it um, without that being a distraction. Um, yeah. And another artist uh, does more multimedia. So it's like we're holding up plaster and wood and it should be held, you know, three feet in the air with brass. And so it's all about just fine tuning the details and figuring out how to make it possible and then also fabricating it. So I really like that because it's, I don't know, it's a pretty multifaceted process and and a lot of problem solving. I mean, this is, I'm hugely fascinated by this because I've never heard of this before. So. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. um, So I guess what has my, first what I'm most curious about is so like these artists who are coming to you are they are they like it's just they don't have those the skill set to with the material and so like are they like an artist in another genre or like (laughs) you could could say it that way (laughs) so uh so yeah maybe beyond popular belief a lot of artists do not make their work um (laughs) especially I I don't want to say especially sculptors um I know a lot of painters have plenty of assistants that they direct but I think right now at least in and because I'm a sculptor it's what I'm most aware of a lot of sculptors do not make their own work um they function in my mind more like designers Mm -hmm. so um I don't want to say it's because they don't have the capability because maybe they do and they don't want to but it's you know, the way that they run their practice and how they do things. A lot of them design objects and they they curate ideas and they have either an internal team to make it mm-hmm. or an external team. So mm-hmm. that is one thing. Like a lot of sculptors will have their own studio and they'll hire their own people and that's who's helping them make it. Okay. Um, and in one instance, like one of the sculptors that I just mentioned, he does have his own studio and production manager and they make a lot of stuff on their own in their house, but they're not metal workers. And so mm-hmm. when he has something that involves metalworking, that's when he'll sort of tap me and say, you know, I have this project and I really want to include brass or I really want these steel shelves that look invisible or whatever. And so that's mm-hmm. when he'll sort of bring me in to fabricate certain components. And so, then, I mean, I'm sure you're, oh, go ahead. I was, I was going to ask like, how does it work then for the analogy I have in my head is like a, like photography, I guess. So um, how does that work then? Like if the, perhaps the piece is, is commissioned, you know, but if it's something that were to be, to go to like a, a gallery, say mm-hmm. like they're the artist. Mm-hmm. But are you credited for the work at all? No, no. Hmm. The, it's like, um, yeah, no, I mean, the answer is no. <laughs> no. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, it's, it's their work and I am fabricating it mm-hmm. as a person they hired to make it. <laughs> um, now, do I influence some of the decisions? Sure. But it's not. Um, I don't see this as a bad thing, by the way. I mean, I don't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it is where it's distinguishing. But for instance, like, I don't want my name on 
that work because my sculpture is very different and I would never have made that as my own sculpture. Gotcha. So I'm, I'm acting more as a fabricator. And, you know, if, if you, you know, when, when an artist gets their work cast in a foundry, when that's in a gallery, you don't see what foundry it got poured in. True. Um, very true. So their artists are not crediting in display, like what fabricators mm-hmm. and who was involved in making it because they're not the people who, you know, made the design or mm-hmm. made those main choices. Mm-hmm. And, um, Sculpture Foundry was my first uh, like metalworking job mm. where that sort of introduced me a, a little bit to that of, you know, welding together someone else's. Passion. Yeah. I mean, did, were you aware of like this kind type of work before you left college? Like that this was something that is done in the art world? Yes. Okay. I don't think I had a conception that I could just open a shop and make other artists work. I mean, that's actually saying it out loud now is I, I don't think I necessarily imagined <laughs> that as a possibility. Right. But I was very, very aware of the concept of people not making their own work to the extent that um, I am in contemporary art and contemporary sculpture. That is a big uh, differentiation in the way that I work. I mm-hmm. am a sculptor who makes all of my own work. Mm-hmm. And from school, it was very clear that I am an outlier. That okay. most people are not working that way anymore. Mm-hmm. Some are, but it's less and less common. <laughs> and that aspect of like making every single thing is a distinguishing factor. Um, it's unusual. That is just super intriguing to me um, <laughs> because it's, yeah. it's not the same in the woodworking world. You don't get to a level of like having a team who's where you're designing and they're working until you're, I mean, very well established, right? Yeah. As as an artist or as, you know, um, a top uh, furniture designer or sculptor in wood, you have to have that, like, it's like you have to refine your voice before it's like, I would say, it's not the right word, but what I'm thinking is like acceptable for others to fabricate what you are creating. I mean, when you talk about it, like, it it does make sense in the sense, like, yeah, that's where I intend to go eventually myself, where like I would have a staff of people. Mm-hmm. I'm doing all of the design work, but I would still like, I guess I just don't feel like I would want to ever ask somebody else to do something that I wasn't capable of doing myself. Like right. that's just something so, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, so I think what we're touching on um, is a difference between art and craft. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely in this sort of world split kind of in the middle somewhere um, because of what I do and how I do it and what we're talking about, like making everything yourself and you have to get really good and get to that sort of bar mm-hmm. before someone else can make it, um, I think is much more of a, a craft um, trajectory, right? Mm-hmm. Both metal and wood. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're a crafts person um, and it, comes up with blacksmithing because I've done a a bit of forging. I wouldn't call myself a blacksmith, but I am connected Mm -hmm. with the sort of artistic blacksmiths in Philadelphia. 
And it's just like what you're saying. You make your own stuff and you get established enough that you can get have a shop, have people under you. Mm-hmm. So there is very much, you know, that. Um, but it is, uh, it's more of that craft and trade, um, a bit of apprenticeship, um, trade school or mm-hmm. um, metalworking. And I think this exists in woodworking as well and definitely in furniture um, and, and some of those sort of craft driven yeah. fields. But if you zoom out of that and and say, oh, I'm only going to talk about like a sculptor, like an artist who makes three dimensional work, that is a very different story. And that's, I think, what art school also was showing me. Right. Sure. There's lots of craftspeople and metal workers who make all their work. work. So I hope I didn't make it sound like that's uncommon because that's not uncommon. But for artists and in the contemporary art world and everyone we were learning about and talking to in contemporary art, craft is not important. Now, should your piece be well-made? Probably. It depends on who you talk to. Right. But, <laughs> but it doesn't. But the fact that you make it is not what's important. Because I think right now the contemporary art world is somewhere that it's about concepts and it's about idea and it's about... Um, uh, you know, making people think about certain societal things in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And that's great. It's not the type of sculptor or artist I am. I want, I'm much, I'm more of a sort of art meets craft where through my craft, I'm able to talk about artistic or conceptual things. Whereas many artists are the opposite. You, you are talking about something and then you apply whatever you need to to meet that end. And so who makes it is not, you know, I mean, tons of hugely successful mm. sculptors. I mean, I guess I think, but I also think like economically, <laughs> when you get, especially if you're combing through art school, right? It's not like you're exiting with like buttload of money that they hand you at graduation sure. day. So it's like, just economically, I think that too, like, again, if I were to apply it to myself, there are things that other, to your point, like craftspeople do way better than I could ever do in making. And I would love for them to like, take that piece because I would feel like it upped the quality of like the end result, right? But the simple fact of it is I can't afford that. So I have to like, whether it's something that I enjoy doing or not, just like I know that there's like, uh, I know quite a few woodworkers as they're upping their game, will start um, hiring out uh, the finishing work, like the sanding and the finishing to somebody that just does that. Right. And that is there. And there, so it, but you have to be able to afford that. And so it's like those artists I'm thinking in my head, like until you make a name for yourself where you're actually being able to sell your work and people are coming to find, to buy your work, like how do you even afford to hire somebody like yourself to fabricate for that? No, you would, you (laughs) have to be at a certain point where, you know, you have probably gallery representation Mm -hmm. or, or you're getting commissions and you can afford to hire someone to make it. That's you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, I mean, and many artists, they're making their own work for exactly the same reason. And I suppose the reason I'm in the realm um, that I'm in and talking about this is because I work in metals. 
So many of the artists that you're describing, right, they come out of art school. They're not hiring other right. people to make their work. They're making their own work. There aren't that many metal workers in that group, right? Right. It's because it's yeah. a pretty, uh, it's expensive because you mm -hmm. need to have a metal shop. Um, you need to really want to do it. <laughs> and it does involve craft. Mm -hmm. So that, that starts to narrow down who we're even talking about. So there's absolutely artists making their own work. <laughs> yeah. 100%. <laughs> is Rasp and File Designs. Rasp and File was created to give new life to old things and create spaces that feel timeless, unique, and warm. Your home and business should be your sanctuary, a place of solace, and your personal piece of art. The owner and woodworker behind Rasp and File Designs is Lauren Matthews, and you can follow along and find out more information on Instagram, just look up Rasp Filed Designs, or on the internet at rfdesigns.squarespace.com. Uh, but if you're a sculptor and you've reached a level where you are selling things and you are um you have some clout mm -hmm. and you're not you're not particularly a metal worker you're just a sculptor yeah yeah that's when you would hire a metal worker when you're using mm. metal okay that's i guess maybe a, a good differentiation okay. yeah but even you know like uh let me think of an example like um ursula van I don't want to go down the art path too much, but there's like big names in, in sculpture that are still making mm -hmm. their own work or in their own shop. And then there's the ones that, I mean, they never touch a tool, you know, it's all the idea. You know? It's just, yeah. I mean, again, it's super, it's super intriguing to me because I would say a lot of the stuff that I make has, obviously a functional aspect to it but a lot of it is art and is an expression of creativity for me and the act of making it is part of that expression of creativity for me yeah, um, and for me as well you know I'm sculpting wood whereas you're sculpting metal but it's still very much like the act of like carving that is is all of it like that's how to me it becomes art is like that piece is a piece of me so i don't i guess i get it <laughs> but i don't but it's hard for me to relate because that's just not my process i guess you know my process is very much around like having skin in the game if you will about the that physically making the piece yeah, and mine as well. Yeah. So, so I mean, your your husband is a metal sculptor as well. So, are you two the odd birds out when you came out of college? Then, if that is oh, I mean, it's that's probably <laughs> what helped forge our relationship. I mean, the number of hours that just he and I spent in that shop and the rest of the class sculpture is a small class. Yeah, 
for the record, but you know, I think out of 13, we were like the metal people. <laughs> there was always metal in our work and we're uh-huh. always in the shop. And actually, um, that, that reminds me the the concept of making work for other people. That was present there because people uh, had me make things for them while I was in school. <laughs> and uh, I had a friend, my friend who I make a lot of her work now, you know, she was doing a glass project and really needed something structural to make a video in. And she's like, I need a frame that like will hold a bunch of things. So can you make it for me? And so I, and I would fix the glass department was above us in the building. I would fix their, um, their shears. There was someone Mm -hmm. who her her hand was small and her shears she couldn't use them functionally. So she had me cut them and re-weld them so that she could use them better. And so it was actually already like in art school, there were people just like, I need a metal thing and I can't make it. Can you make it for me? (laughs) And so there's that, you know, I think that that happens maybe more often than we think. Like you may not have that much money, but sometimes Mm -hmm. you just need something to make your work function. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you need to find someone who can weld. (laughs) And so I, so are those people do you ever include stuff in your sculptural work your own sculptural work that you don't fabricate no <laughs> i make every single thing about, what about your nothing what about your husband my husband's the same way so okay. we're and we were the p pe- i mean what during crits i mean you can you can tell you know we're the two people making every single thing and trying to make it as crafted as possible. Um, and, you know, we had some people who were a bit more conceptual, found objects, um, some people who also made their work, but maybe were working more with like plaster and wood. So it, there was the range, but um, mm-hmm. there was there's only a couple out of each class that really turn into like me- either metal workers or woodwork, like the more mm-hmm. craft driven. Yeah, yeah. And like make everything. Um, and so we're both those kinds of people um, where there's really nothing except maybe an occasional bolt or screw mm-hmm. that we don't make in our work. Was, I mean, <clears throat> since that wasn't necessarily the, the focus, like you said, of, of at school that, you know, you would be have the craftsmanship aspect of it like Mm -hmm. is it all self-taught or did were there people on staff and stuff who could teach you some of that stuff we had um there's always like a shop tech person Mm -hmm. very knowledgeable he was there to answer questions to show you around a tool and that's you know, he was there to answer questions. We weren't like spending long hours mm-hmm. like learning with him. Um, he did a, he would, we, you know, the whole class would have something with him that introduces you to all the tools or get some assignments mm-hmm. that have to do with like making something that you build. Mm-hmm. But no, it was very largely self-taught. I mean, take like big welding. I was shown how to turn on and arc the machine and like how to make it function. Um, and then it was practice, 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 keep doing it. And then when I, I got a summer job at a sculpture foundry, uh, while I was in school and that got me, that sort of like honed some of those skills. Mm -hmm. 
when you're in a shop and asked to do something and you have to do, you know, 20 of them in this many hours, right. You start to, to get good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was well, you, like you, learning through doing. Yeah. You're growing that muscle memory, right? Um, yeah. Would you like where you're at now and looking back, I mean, obviously it sounds like you had a, a great experience going to art school. Do you ever think about craft school versus art school though? Um, I have thought about it, but I wouldn't change it. Um, would I still consider going to a craft school? Maybe. Um, I actually, you know, just did a forging workshop. That I got a scholarship to do at um, Center for Metal Arts, mm -hmm. which, you know, does sort of the workshop-based craft mm -hmm. things. And just to be in a shop that was sort of fully outfitted with mm -hmm. um, those tools was a really great experience to, to get some forging experience mm -hmm. by people who actually know how to forge rather than, <laughs> hey, there's a forge over there and right. an anvil, figure it out. <laughs> that was really great. Yeah. And it was only one week and, and it made a big difference. So, I mean, do I see the value, huge value in that type of school? Absolutely. And maybe is it somewhere in my future? Who knows? But in terms of what I, that the fact that I went to art school, um, I really got a lot of value out of it. And even though they weren't teaching me how to do something that is pretty much central to my life now, um, you know, I was still able to make it central to mm -hmm. my life now. Yeah. And they, the, it, it, you can critique art school's focus on concept times and it has its flaws but it also really has its values because mm -hmm. I hope this doesn't um, come off the wrong way to anyone who's like a crafts person in the audience <laughs> you can teach people how to do things you know I can teach people how to weld I can teach people how to whatever you can teach someone how to yeah. do what you do with wood you can teach that it is very hard to teach how to see something how to, to understand what details do to the overall effect of a piece, mm -hmm. how composition can make something feel wildly um, uncomfortable or like wildly, uh, I don't know. Right. <laughs> that sort of concept of how do objects take on different expressions, concepts, mm -hmm. how does it make one feel, how does it exist in the world? Um, and all of those just little things that impact the experience of looking at, in my opinion, not just art, but even functional objects and how yeah. to, to see things and um, consider them in all kinds of different ways. That's a task, that's hard, you know, it's, and so I wouldn't just say that I, straight up learned that in art school, but that was the core of the discussion, right? You're mm -hmm. trying to figure out um, not only how to make something, but why you would make that thing. Yeah, and I so would it, say... It helped. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, so I would just say it helped me figure out like, what is important and wh what to make and why do I make what I make and, and those types of m more overarching questions that you can carry through, you know, and apply to anything. 
Would you say it was, it helped you through a process of self-discovery? Yes, definitely. Yeah. And I would say, (laughs) I would say, I wish I had just gone to art school to get there instead of, (laughs) instead of, you know, four years of college, which I do use my degree, but four years of college and then lots of years of life to get to the same point, right? It's just like I you know, took a different route, got to a very similar point. Um, and I think I think people can get there on their own. And I would, I would say that it's also, I think everybody has, I 1000% believe everybody has an artistic and a creative aspect to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think, though, that some people are innately born with a talent of maybe being able to recognize that easier than others. Uh, Like you were talking about, like, just how objects can make you feel like, or, you know, objects or any kind of art, how they can make you feel like I think you can find children who can who could articulate that to you at a very young age and others who cannot. So I do think there is some level of just like how a person's mind works to start with. Um, And then that's, I mean, that's why some people are artists and some people are not, right? There's some people who are very like pragmatic and some people who uh, are very good at expressing things through art. I think, I I guess I see it a little bit more about exposure and Mm. experience. Um, actually with the example you just gave, you know, I could be the kid that you say, yeah, she's like totally logical. She'll do great Mm -hmm. in math and science, but maybe not so much in art. You know, Mm -hmm. my mom used to constantly say like, play to your strengths. You're good at, you know, math and science. Mm -hmm. You should, you were born good at that. And I guess I see, you know, the, the sort of exposure to other things and just starting to realize that different ways of thinking exist or being exposed to different ways of working. You know, I think that's, we also, it's pretty common to have people, um, you know, with crafts people as parents, maybe better at thinking about craft or getting into that field Mm -hmm. or with parents as artists able to express that at a a young age. Um, So I think I agree with you that everyone sort of has the capacity to be creative or Sort of mm-hmm. discover themselves in all these different types of ways and really life is gonna sort of lay out how each of us gets to whatever point we get to mm-hmm. um and then maybe some of it is you know some people need to be creative more than other people it's not that you can't right but maybe you don't need to you know you're, mm-hmm. we're all trying to sort of figure out what makes us fulfilled mm-hmm. or not fulfilled or feel a little better and for some people it's making things or creative things or craft-based things and for some people it doesn't need to be that doesn't mean they couldn't but but we do you know everyone's not the same so (laughs) have our our tendencies and 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 start to go down you know what really kind of works with the way our brain functions Mm or or yeah I, I will say I am I am right there with you as far as uh, as a kid I had 
no artists in my family. Um, I had uh, distant relatives, like my great, great grandfather was a woodworker. Um, but outside of that, like there was nobody who like had anything like that. And my mom wholeheartedly pushed me to focus on math and science because it was like, well, that's where the money is. So I had, but I would also say, yes, I was good at those things, but I can remember being a child and just being able to think of a design or think of something and see it spatially in my head very easily. Right. Right. That type of thing. I think you're either, Again, I think you can get there, but I think it's a lot harder for some people to be able to do that, you know. Um, So, yeah, I guess maybe that's where I was getting at is just like being able to self-recognize it or being self-aware is a little bit can take some people longer than others, just depending on the circumstances. we actually, Erica, are at the end of our time together. Um, oh, wow. I know. I went quickly. Okay, quickly. <laughs> um, and I appreciate you going down that rabbit hole with me just because <laughs> it's not something. Um, and I apologize if it's if it seemed like, oh, isn't that something everybody knows? But it's not something. <laughs> no, that, not at all. Um, so I it's think. It's a constant you know, that whole dynamic between craft and art and concept and making and designing, Mm -hmm. it's a really big topic. So yeah, yeah. And I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, I want to give you a chance to let people know though, how they can find you and follow along with your work and stuff, um, you know, across social media and such. Sure. I'm not the most avid social media user, but you can definitely, you know, I try to post some of my process and work um, on Instagram, I'm Erica with a C E R I C A underscore E H R. So Erica Air. And um, my company is called Carriage Creative. So you can also find us on Instagram at Carriage Creative okay. um, with correlating, you know, websites and, and all that good stuff. Yeah. Back, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, thanks so much for taking the time, finding the time to chat with me today. Yeah, I mean, thanks for pulling me out of the weeds of Instagram and inviting me to be, to be on the show. It's a yeah, pleasure. absolutely. All right, again, that was Erica, and I will include the links on how you can follow along with her in the description for the episode. So you can find that uh, in the description on whatever podcast episode you're listening, podcast platform you're listening to this on, um, and down in the description if you're watching this on YouTube. If you are enjoying the podcast, please, please, please make sure that you are subscribed and hit the like, comment, head on over to iTunes, leave a five-star review. All of that lets the algorithms know that not only you enjoy this podcast, but others like you might enjoy it also. Um, I already mentioned at the start of the episode uh, to go ahead and check out Patreon. Um, There are four different tier levels over there. One of them makes you an official sponsor of the podcast, so you'll get your own little ad spot on every episode. Others come with different levels of merchandise um, and 
all tier levels get you access to additional content um, and early access to things like live interviews via Zoom. That is definitely coming now that we are in 2021. I do plan on making that happen at least once a quarter, if not more frequently. Um, and as a patron, you will have access to hop on that Zoom while I'm interviewing the guest and uh, even get to ask some questions at the end. So. <clears throat> That's a pretty cool opportunity that you might want to uh, check out. Um, if you're not into Patreon, you can totally just want to rock some swag for the podcast, your favorite podcast. If you follow Maker Mom Podcast on Instagram, so just at Maker Mom Podcast, link in the bio, there is something right there that takes you to Maker Mom Swag, which also includes now uh, Wonder Women series tees like I'm wearing right now. Um, plus, there's face masks and coffee mugs, both for the Wonder Women series and the uh, tr more traditional Maker Mom series as well. So you can check that out. Now, when I am not interviewing and editing uh, episodes for the podcast, you can find me designing and making furniture and home decor for bold homes at Freeman Furnishings. Dot com and at Freeman Furnishings across all the social media like YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, LinkedIn, all of that, uh, Pinterest. But I am most active on Instagram and TikTok. I'm active on there daily. So if you want to see kind of what's new, new, uh, you can follow along with me over there. All right. So it is the middle of the week. I hope you're having a fantastic start to the year 2021, and I will see you all on Friday. Bye.